Welcome to another podcast from the BCC team. Our aim is to bring you a message that will help you live a better, more God-centered life. For more information, go to bccweb.com. So, thinking about the series that uh, we're looking at, Mark started last week and we're doing across the summer, talking about synergy and the power of healthy relationships. And as you know, we're modelling it on the life of Joseph. And um, I want to pick up from where Mark left off last week and just uh, think about a couple of things that Mark said. Um, The next bit that we're going to look at is Genesis 39, which is about exploitation and manipulation. We're going to talk about Potiphar's wife and Joseph. But I want to just think about a couple of things that Mark said last week. And he said that synergy, which is the kind of overarching title for this series, is the creation of a whole that's greater than the sum of the parts. What we can achieve together as the body of Christ is going to be far greater and far superior to what we can all achieve as individuals and God has built us together as part of the body of Christ and whilst we do have individual responsibilities we also have corporate responsibilities as the body of Christ and God wants us to have healthy relationships with each other so that we can function in the way that he wants us to function. The other thing that Mark said last week was this and I often think about this quote um, for a man to conquer himself is the first and noblest of all victories. You know, we would so love to change other people, wouldn't we? Oh, I wish he didn't do this. I wish she didn't do that. I wish he was like this. I wish she was like that. You know, we're so keen to change other people, but the only person you'll ever be able to change is who? Yourself. And I think it's great that we, when we recognise this, that when we can come to that place of saying, actually, it isn't everybody else's fault, it's actually mine. And when we start looking and when we start berating the world, everybody's against me, it's usually because the problem's with you and not with everybody else. And, you know, when we can come to that place of saying, God, search me and know me, see if there's any wicked way in me, is there anything that I'm contributing to this situation which actually Lord needs to change? And it's the most incredible... It takes the most incredible strength to conquer yourself, to recognise in yourself where things need to change. And God helping us, we can change. Um, I want to just look, and in fact, I've probably done this too small as I realised in the first, and you can't read it, um, which is fine. I'm just going to pray see it for you, really. Um, Joseph was taken down to Egypt, as you know, and he was taken into Potiphar's house. And Potiphar's, um, and, and it says that God gave him favour on everything he did and that he actually um, was put in charge of everything within um, Potiphar's house, such that Potiphar didn't have to think about anything except the food he was about to eat. And Potiphar was a, a responsible man in, in many ways, but he saw that God's hand was on Joseph. Um, <clears throat> and then Potiphar's wife Uh, recognising that um, it says Joseph was well-built and handsome and after a while his master's wife took notice of Joseph and said, come to bed with me, Uh, but he refused. Um, 
Uh, he told her, my master does not concern himself with anything in the house. Everything he owns has been entrusted to my care. No one is greater in the house than I. My master has withheld nothing from me except you because you're his wife. Now, <clears throat> how, could, how then could I do such a wicked thing and sin against God? You know, he had developed such a fear of God that actually he wasn't saying, how can I not fulfill the lust of my flesh? He was saying, how can I do this so that I don't sin against God. He had certainly learned a thing or two um, since we last interacted with him. And although she spoke to Joseph day after day, he refused to go to bed with her and even be with her. And one day he went into the house to attend to his duties. None of the servants were inside and she caught him by the cloak and said, come to bed with me. But he left his cloak in her hand, ran out of the house. And then and when she saw that he had left his cloak in her hand and run out of the house, she called upon her servants. Look, she said, this Hebrew you brought into has, this place has made sport of me. He came in here to sleep with me, but I screamed. When he heard me scream for help, he left his cloak beside me and ran out of the house. And she kept his cloak beside her until the master came home and she told him this story. The Hebrew slave you brought to us um, came to make sport of me, but now as I scream for help, he left the cloak inside and ran out of the house. And when his master heard the story his wife told, he said, this is how your slave treated me. He burned with anger. And Joseph's master took him and put him in prison and placed the king's prison, the place where the king's prisoners are confined. Um, <clears throat> and, and Vlad's going to pick it up from there on next week. But what I want to look at here is that it doesn't matter where you are. It doesn't matter what your circumstances are. God can cause you to prosper. It does not depend on, on, on man's favour. It does not depend on your circumstances, your riches, your wealth, your good looks or anything else. It depends on God's hand of favour upon you and your heart towards God. Joseph kept his heart right before God and God caused everything he did to prosper. And I want to just focus on a couple of things here this morning. Firstly, about what Potiphar's wife did, but more importantly, the way that Joseph responded to what Potiphar's wife did. If there's one thing I've learned in life, it's that blood is thicker than water. If uh, somebody in your family comes to tell you about something, you're more likely to believe it. And if somebody comes up and tells you something about your family member, you're less likely to believe it. Blood is thicker than water. We stand by our families. And I can remember many examples over the years where I have experienced this. Um, and I, in my youth when I lived overseas I often lived with other families and um, I saw it very apparently no more than at one time when I was living in Zimbabwe and I was living with a family and they had two small boys and I used to babysit for them um, and so um, when the mum and dad would go out um, I would go in the kitchen to make a drink and the boys would lock me in the kitchen all the houses, all the doors in the house had keys. They were all lockable. When you went to bed at night, as you went back through the house, you locked all the doors. And so they would lock me in the kitchen and take the key. And I would spend the whole evening locked in the kitchen. And occasionally they would put the key under the door on a piece of string. And as I went to grab it, they would whip it back out again. And then when their parents were due to come home, they'd let me out of the kitchen and, um, and so the parents, when they came home, I'd say, look, I've spent the whole... How were the boys? I've spent the whole night locked in the kitchen. Boys, did you lock Deborah in the kitchen? No, we didn't lock her in the kitchen. So they never believed me. 
And um, when they would go out and I would babysit after that, I would take the keys out so that they couldn't lock me in any of the rooms. And then sometimes I'd forget to put the keys back and then I'd get told off who's taken the keys. And, and it wasn't until many, many, many years later when those boys were older that they confessed to all the things they'd done to me when I lived with them. <clears throat> yes, Mum, of course we used to do that to her, you know. That was part of the fun. <laughs> Um, so I know that blood is thicker than water. I know that families stick together and that, uh, you know, and I wonder whether Joseph knew this and I wonder whether the, he thought there's no point in me. It's her word against mine. You know, who is he going to believe? He's obviously going to believe his wife. And I wonder if that's why he didn't try to defend himself. But before we kind of unravel a little bit behind why Potiphar's wife did what she did, I want us just to think about what God has said um, <clears throat> in relation to man's realm of dominion. Because she clearly manipulated him and dominated him in that situation. Uh, in Genesis um, uh, 1 and 20, is it 1? Yes, 1 and 27 and 28, it says this, so God created man in his own image. In the image of God created him, male and female created them. And God blessed them and God said unto them, be fruitful and multiply and replenish the earth and subdue it and have dominion over what? The fish of the sea, the birds of the air and over every living thing that moved. So subdue means to take charge and dominion means to rule or reign or to prevail against it. Nowhere does it say that we should have dominion over each other. It says we have dominion over the birds, over the <clears throat> fish, over everything that moves. That isn't including us. Uh, but it never, ever says, God never intended that we should have dominion or, or, or manipulation or domination over each other. Now, I'm not talking about a queen or a ruler. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about the sort of thing that Potiphar's wife did. Um, we were never intended to have that kind of dominion. And in fact, if you look at... Um, Genesis 2 where it says that Adam when God created Eve Adam said she's bone of my bones flesh of my flesh I'll call her woman because she was taken out of me and therefore a man will leave his wife his mother and father and cleave to his wife and they shall become one and the whole purpose of that becoming one was as a helper Eve was created as a helper for Adam so that Adam wouldn't be alone we're not created to dominate and manipulate each other. We're there to help. And I don't necessarily think that um, <clears throat> not to be alone means not to be married. I think what he's talking about is that we were created to come together in relationship so that we wouldn't be alone, so that we would be able to help each other, not to manipulate each other, not to dominate each other. And the problem is that over time, um, even in the church, Male and female relationships have broken down drastically from what God intended. Whether it's in marriage or family or friendship, I'm sure we can all give examples of brokenness um, in people's lives and where people are now left alone because they can no longer relate, can no longer connect, would rather be on their own than be in relationship with other people. And the whole purpose of the series that we're talking about is healthy relationships. I, I think the world, and I don't say this with any kind of judgment, I just say it as an observation, relationships in the world have just gone bizarre. Anything, anything goes. Male with male, female with female, people changing their gender, all sorts of things have, have changed dramatically from the way that God originally created a man and a woman. And if we are seen not to be supporting those kind of things then we're supposedly 
um, uh, against these things and, and, and not treating people with equality as far as the world is concerned. But I think personally it's confusion. It's confusion and God has created us in such a way and he's created us to have relationship in such a way. So what is manipulation then? Manipulation is this. The process of manipulation involves bringing an unknown victim under the domination of a manipulator, often using deception and using the victim to serve their own purposes. The whole reason that we want other people to be different is to satisfy ourselves. I want you to change so that it makes me feel better. I want you to behave differently so it makes me feel better. I want you to relate to me in the way I need you to relate to me so that I feel better. People who manipulate and dominate is to serve their own purposes. And they may not see that and they may not say that, but that's ultimately what it is. If you have to be a certain way towards me, it's so that I feel more comfortable with the way that you are. So why do people manipulate others? Well, there's all sorts of reasons, and I don't know why Potiphar's wife did what she did, but potentially it could have been that she felt trapped in her role. It could have been that um, she felt unloved. It could have been that she was trying to prove her authority. It could have been that she was bored or unfulfilled. It could have been that she was just a woman used to having everything she wanted, and therefore she was going to have this. There were all sorts of reasons. But in actual fact... um, She did not succeed, and if she had succeeded and Joseph had gone to bed with her, do you think she would be satisfied? No, she wouldn't be satisfied because the lust of the flesh never says enough. The lust of the flesh never says just once. And once you've gone there, the lust of the flesh will continue. It will continue that cycle. It will never stand up one day and say, okay, enough, until maybe you're in the gutter. It might So manipulation never satisfies. And in fact, it did exactly the opposite to her, didn't it? It made her angry and it made her feel humiliated. And so in fact, Joseph, by denying her request, had actually saved her from a slippery slope, although she wouldn't have seen it like that. But he actually had, and she became angry. So there's many reasons why people manipulate. And I just want to have a look at three Because we need to recognise these in ourselves and in other people if we're going to have healthy relationship. Because the answer to all this lies in our relationship with God. And so why do people manipulate? Well, sometimes it's because they don't believe they deserve to be loved. There's a lot of people around who don't think they deserve to be loved. In other words, I need you to be a certain shape and behave in certain ways, say certain things to actually make me feel loved. And unless you do, I don't feel loved. People who don't feel loved often find it really difficult to manage their weaknesses. And therefore, they need people to behave in a certain way um, and gain power over people. You never tell me you love me. You would come to bed with me if you really loved me. All this kind of stuff. Making people behave in a certain way to make people feel Um, good about themselves and feeling deserved to be loved I have to say and those of you who were here last week sung me this great song it was my birthday last week and on Monday I was 60 and I know I don't look it um, which is fantastic because when I'm 80 or 90 I'm still going to look only 60 which is great And, um, and I woke up on the morning of my birthday and 
And um, I just sat up in bed and I just was so filled with God. I, God, I'm so thankful. I know I am loved. I absolutely know that I know that I know that I'm loved, mostly by you, but also I know that I'm loved by my family. And why am I so loved by my family? Because I'm so secure in my love for God. And my love for God, and I came to Christ at 21, so you can work that out for yourself. My love for God is my stronghold. That's what holds me first. So whether people like me or don't like me, it doesn't really matter, because God does. And God loves me, and I felt so incredibly loved. And I spent the next, the rest of the morning with God on my own, reminiscing over my whole life and all the amazing things I'd done, the places that I'd been, the people that I'd met, the privileges that I'd had. And I can tell you, I have lived in a mud hut and I have also lived in a palace. You know, I have gone from one to the other and in everything I've had, God has blessed me. And um, it was a great, great morning. um, And I felt just surrounded by the love of God. Um, People who manipulate others struggle with the unpredictability of the world and the need to control to survive. Um, I, I met up with a friend of mine this week who I used to work with and she was telling me about her daughter who's been in a relationship with a guy for about two and a half years. They live together and um, <clears throat> she wants to end the relationship because it's not working. But the boy has told her, if you leave me, I'll kill myself. And now she's trapped in this situation where she really wants to get out of it, but she's so emotionally entwined that she doesn't know how to because he says, I will kill myself. This is a man who can't take responsibility for his own emotions for whatever reason, and he's holding her to ransom in this relationship, manipulating her. If you leave me, I will kill myself. Now, people who commit suicide or who kill themselves, it is their own responsibility. It is their own decision. You can't make people commit suicide, otherwise it's murder. People commit suicide who take responsibility for themselves. However, they leave an incredible trail of guilt for the people that are left behind. And now my friend is obviously really worried about this situation because she doesn't know how it's going to pan out. You know, when we feel the unpredictability of the world, when we feel that um, we need to control things in order for us to feel safe and in order for us to survive. Um, And people um, manipulate because they are afraid of close interpersonal relationships. They feel, often they feel misunderstood or they feel unrecognised or they feel underestimated. They want, uh, they want least of all that somebody will learn about the real self, which is unlovable. And one of the difficult things is um, for us, how do we see ourselves? If you see yourself as unlovable, you're going to try and manipulate circumstances around you to make yourself feel loved because to feel loved is a fundamental wiring that we have we all anybody here doesn't want to feel loved we all want to feel loved that's part of the way God has wired us and when we don't feel and when we feel that if I expose myself for who I truly am if I am my true authentic self people won't love me then we try and manipulate circumstances around us so people don't actually see a true authentic self but you cannot have healthy relationships if you cannot be your true authentic self um, I remember when um, years ago when I lived overseas when I was on my way home and in times that I've travelled back and forth I used to spend time 
um, going into China to take Bibles into China before the borders were opened. And, and um, you know, I used to love nothing more than the unpredictable nature, the risk involved in trying to get through the border without getting caught. I used to think it was so exciting. And uh, I would have my bags and I would do all sorts of things and manipulate all sorts of ways. How can I get through? Unfortunately, going through the China-Hong Kong border, um, being a Westerner, I was often head and shoulders above everybody else, which made me stand out. But However, it was incredibly exciting. I loved the risk. I loved the unpredictability of it. And um, I could do it because I just felt so secure in who I was in myself. But there are people I know who struggle with the unpredictability of what's going on around them and need to control things in order to feel secure. It's interesting because we've got a couple of people. I work in an office with them. As you know, I'm a manager, but in the office there's about nine of us in the office and there's a couple of people in the office who've got um, OCD and they just, oh, everything gets tidied away and everything gets wiped and cleaned. And um, we have um, a shared mobile phone, which we use, and I love it that they keep cleaning that. But I don't like it when they keep cleaning my desk and they keep cleaning my phone and my keyboard and moving everything off my desk, you know. And constantly, and they say, oh, I can't help it. I've got to be in control. I say, my desk is out of bounds, okay? My desk is out of bounds. Clean the rest of the office, if you like. And people come into our office and they say, your office is the cleanest office in the whole place. Say, yeah, you want to know why? <laughs> you want to share some of our staff? You know, they just love it. People love coming into our office because it's always so clean and tidy. Um, but people feel, and this girl tells me, I can't, I can't, I've got to. I can't sit and look at your desk if it's untidy. Okay, don't look at it. It's <laughs> my desk. Um, so we come to illogical conclusions in our life. When we feel that we have to control and to manipulate, we come to illogical conclusions in our life. And so some people might think the thought that life is based on a constant and acute want to be approved um, by all people surrounding you is totally illogical. Let me tell you now, not everybody's going to like you and not everybody's going to approve of you. Not everybody likes me and not everybody approves of me. That is life. It is totally illogical to think that you have got to be in a constant way of, of being approved by everybody around you. You'd have to be a chameleon to be a different colour with everybody that you came uh, face to face with. I'm like this because it's you. I'm like this because it's you. I'm like this because it's you. And by the end of the day, I'm absolutely exhausted because I haven't really been myself. And in order to be approved, in order to be feel better... I have to be something that I'm really not. It's totally illogical. And you will never, 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 never get to a place where everyone likes you and everybody approves of you. It's a fantasy. It's totally illogical. We have to learn to deal with that because in our security in Christ, it's illogical the thought that you have to please certain people to be accepted. I grew up for many, many years thinking that trying to get the approval of my father and my father was an academic and I didn't achieve until I was well into my 40s. And, um, and I was constantly trying to get his approval. I wanted him to say to me, well done. And I, it wasn't until I was in my early 40s that I realised it didn't, actually didn't really matter. It didn't really matter if my dad never said well done. I knew he loved me. He just loved me in his own way. I was trying to get him to love me in the way I wanted him to love me. I wanted my dad to say, I love you. My dad never said, I love you, because he was um, Victorian. 
You know, that was just his way. But did my love, dad love me? Of course he did. He looked after me, he provided for me, he cared for me, he killed and hunted and did all the things that good dads do. And, um, and, uh, uh, but I wanted him to love me in a way that I felt loved. In other words, dad, you behave like this and then I will feel like you love me. But it was never going to happen. And it wasn't until I was about 40 that I suddenly realised, it doesn't matter. It just doesn't matter. I don't have to seek my dad's approval. My dad loves me and I know that. And then the thought that uh, I must measure up to certain standards to be accepted. I've got to be thin enough. I've got to be beautiful enough. I've got to be wealthy enough. I've got to be nice enough. That's an, air ver- that's an airbrushed version of a person, isn't it? That's what the magazines airbrush you to be. That's not reality. It's totally illusional to think that actually, if only I was like this or if only I was like that, then people would approve of me and I would be more accepted. But you know what? And I've witnessed this over and over and over. The more we chase after these things, the more we actually push people away. You know, we think we're doing things to be accepted, but actually we end up pushing people away because we're not being our own authentic self. We try so hard to get people into relationship with us, but actually the way we're behaving in the manipulative way we're trying to to get people to make us feel approved, we're actually pushing people away. People don't want to be with us, and it has the reverse effect. And having an attractive body and a personality will get me what I want. Well, it's never worked for me, and it's totally illusional. (laughs) It does not work. And sometimes we think this. I mean, you only have to look in the magazines about, I mean, how many people spend billions of pounds on um, cosmetic surgery, on liposuction, on endless, endless, endless. If only I looked like this. If only I had these big pouty lips, everybody would love me. I mean, I just think they look funny to me, but anyway... (laughs) But, but, you know, if only I had this, if only I could be this kind of a person. I remember many years ago, I went to a wedding in France. This is nothing against French people at all. But I went to a wedding in France of a friend of my sister's who was English. He was marrying a French man. And, um, and the, the wedding was in the grounds of a chateau. I mean, it was very awfully, you know, it was really nice. And all the French women at the wedding, I'd actually gone, not because I was invited, but because children weren't allowed to go to the reception. So I was there to run the creche uh, for my sister and her friends, which was fine. I got a free trip to France, I didn't mind. So um, we, went to the recept- we went to the initial reception after the wedding and I still can see beautiful, beautiful grounds in this chateau. You know, you could look down the gardens and it could for eternity. And um, there was all these French women there smoking with cigarette holders, you know, so they'd have a cigarette holder to here with a cigarette in the end of it. And all incredibly beautiful women. And... Um, uh, and as we were standing in the reception area, there was a string quartet playing. I mean, it was beautiful. As we were standing there just looking at people, my sister was going to me, you know, that one's sleeping with her husband and that one's sleeping with his husband and that one's sleeping with her and that one over there, you know what she's... You know, appearances, they looked immaculate. In fact, they made me feel like I was just in rags. But, you know, they looked immaculate and yet their lives were a mess. Most of them, their lives were a mess. It was a persona, it was an airbrush person. 
airbrushed to look the part, but totally not accepted and ridiculed for what they were doing. This is illogical, but many of us live our lives like this, in that constant source of approval of others. So, okay then. Um, What does it mean then to be vulnerable? So what does it mean to be vulnerable then? Well, to be vulnerable means this. It means to take emotional risk. It means to be emotionally exposed. And it means to enter the realm of uncertainty. Would you agree? That's what it means to be vulnerable. How many of us like to go there? We don't. Many of us would rather stay and hide in our vulnerability. If we're going to build authentic, healthy relationships, not just within the church, but within the world, we have got to start taking some risk. We have got to start being more authentic in who we are, and we've got to enter the realm of uncertainty. In other words, step out of our comfort zone. Because actually, these characteristics are the very characteristics of courage. Courage is to take emotional risks. Courage is to be emotionally exposed. And courage is to enter the realm of uncertainty. Would you agree? So what determines whether you're on the left or whether you're on the right? Are you a person of vulnerability or are you a person of courage? Well, what will depend on where you sit is whether you have a strong sense of worthiness. If you have a strong sense of worthiness of who you are and that you matter to God and you have a strong sense of that, you will be a person of courage. I have always been a risk taker in my life. I love risk. I don't like fast risk because I'm getting a bit older now. I don't like fast, okay, so don't like fast cars, don't like downhill skiing or anything like that. I don't need to break anything. (laughs) I just, but I love risk. I'd love to go and, oh, we don't need to take Bibles into China anymore. You can take them freely. But, you know, I just love risk. I love excitement. I love abandoning myself to God um, and just say, God, how, how is this going to happen? How are you going to show up in this situation? But actually, if you're going to be a person on the left-hand side of that, you're going to be controlled by guilt and shame. Guilt is I've done something bad and shame is I am bad. And that will determine which side of that you're going to sit. And God wants to bring us out of our vulnerability, out of our guilt and shame, and make us people of courage. So let's have a think about value for the moment. How much do you think this is worth? Quite a bit, yeah? How much do you think this is worth? Quite a lot, would you say? How much is this worth? Think that's worth very much? 30 pounds? 40 pounds? Thousands? How much is this worth? That's priceless. How much is this worth? If it's not a fake. Is that worth a lot of money? How much is this worth? Is that worth a lot of money? How much is this worth? Anybody know how much gold is worth? I haven't got any, but, well, not on earth. I've got some in heaven. (laughs) These things cost a lot of money, don't they? These things have a lot of value. How much value do they have? Well, things that only have worth are worth what people will pay for them. They could roll a thousand of those blue cars off the the car line, but if nobody thinks they're worth that money, no one's going to buy them, are they? 
things are only worth what people will pay for them. Do you think, do you agree with that? Yeah. Or not? Agree? Yeah. You can, you can say that this is worth a lot of money, but actually if no one's willing to pay the price for it, nobody's going to buy it. Things are only worth what people are willing to pay for. So, what about you and me? What are we worth? How much was paid to purchase us? And most of all, were we all valued at the same price? Am I worth more than you? Are you worth more than me? So why do you, some of you think you're worthless? We are all valued at the same price. I am worth the same to God as you are. I'm worth no more and I'm worth no less. And I am worthy not because of who I am, but because of who he is. You are not your own. You were bought with a price. For, it is, for you know that it's not with perishable things such as silver and gold that you were redeemed from the empty way of life handed down to you from your ancestors, but with the precious blood of Christ, a lamb without spot or blemish. It's not because of who I am that makes me worthy. It's because of who he is that makes me worthy. So let's go back to that. Before we do, let's look at this. If you're a believer in Christ and you do not think you're worthy, you have some illogical conclusions in your life and you're believing a lie. Jesus took all our guilt and shame on the cross and he made us worthy, not because of who we are, but because of who he is. If you think you're unworthy here this morning, you are believing a lie. Let me tell you. It is an illogical conclusion that you have come to in your life because of circumstances or because of the way people have spoken about you or to you or whatever has happened. But it is a lie. We are all valued the same by God. So going back to this then, if we have courage and a strong sense of worthiness and our worth is found in Jesus Christ, it will enable us to be vulnerable, which will lead to healthy relationships, which will lead to more courage and a greater sense of worth and a greater sense of our worth in God and enable us to become vulnerable and to become authentic. You cannot be authentic unless you're going to be vulnerable, unless you're going to recognise that my worth is found in Christ. Whether I'm good or whether I'm bad, whether I behave, whether I sin, whatever I do, my worth is found in Christ. It doesn't matter what my background, what your background. You could have been in prison. You could have been a murderer. You could have been any of these. It doesn't matter. Your worth and value to God is the same as it is for me and for any of us sitting in this room. We cannot say, because of what I've done in my life, I'm not worth anything. Because the worth is not our worth. It's God's worth. It's God's worth that he's bestowed on us and valued and the way that God values us. And this kind of, this kind of worth and this kind of understanding <clears throat> is what sets us free. And the only way to healthy relationships is to, is to have courage to be vulnerable, to know that you're worth something so that you can be your authentic self. Authentic people know how to fail and get straight back up again. <laughs> Authentic people know that they will fail. It's an irrational conclusion, an illogical conclusion to think that you're never going to fail at anything in life. Of course you are. We all are. But an authentic person who's secure in Christ can get straight up again. Authentic people, when they're wrong, know how to say sorry and to forgive. 
and how to move on again. If we're going to wait until we're bulletproof or we're perfect, it's never going to happen. And even if we could get to that point, who wants to see a person like that? The world needs to see authenticity in the church and in its relationships. People need to see vulnerability in others if we're going to dare greatly. One of our values is daring, isn't it? To be daring. If we're going to dare, if we're going to be daring, then we have got to know what it means to be vulnerable. And to be vulnerable, we've got to be able to know our value in Christ. Vulnerability is essential for wholehearted living. It's the birthplace of change and innovation and creativity. To be who you are in Christ without worrying about who you're trying to get approval from or feel unloved by is freedom. It brings us into a realm of freedom to dare and to trust. If you've trusted somebody in the past and you've said, I'm never going to trust anybody again, it's an illogical conclusion. You've got to come to the place of being able to trust people again uh, and to express your feelings, whatever they are, to have faith in yourself and to have faith in others. Um, and enable us to realise and understand the value of who we are and the uniqueness of who we are. We're part of a body. What you contribute to the body will be different to what I contribute. I can't make up for you and you can't make up for me. We all have our unique place in the body of Christ. Shagan, would you come back, please, wherever you are? Thank you. Jesus said that the world would know us by our love for one another. And the world puts so much pressure on us to conform. For women to be like this, all airbrushed, and for men to be not to show their weaknesses and to be something that they're not. And it disables people from being their authentic self. Jesus said, be renewed, be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Don't, let's not be airbrushed by the world to look and be something that we're not. We need to be what God has called us to be. We need to be able to expose our authentic self to people because we know we're loved by God. If you come to me and you do something wrong, my response should be, well, me too, I've done something wrong. Not, oh, look at you, look what you've done. Because my authentic self tells me that I get things wrong too, and that I can come alongside you, not in judgment, but to say, I've done something wrong as well. The world needs to see this kind of authentic love for one another. People, including people in the church, still hide. We hide because we don't really want people to see who we really are. And therefore, we're not going to be in authentic relationship with other people. We still try and control and manipulate other people in order to make ourselves feel good. Instead of finding that God is the one who makes me feel good. God is the one who makes me feel God, uh, who makes me feel good. We're going to sing. I'm going to pray. And I just want to ask you today, you know, what I've shared with you this morning um, is not, if, if I respond to what I have said this morning, it's going to change my life. It's not going to change yours. It's only going to change your life if you make some kind of response. You don't have to make any kind of response to me because I'm not the one who's going to change your life, but you have to make a kind of response to God. If anything I've said this morning has really really um, hit a note, resonated in something with you and you want to be more authentic with God, then as we sing, just open up your heart to God and just say, God, I, I need to be more authentic. I need to know how much you value me. I need to know how much I'm worth to you. You paid the ultimate price for me. 
And as we sing this morning, um, just um, as we close, just open up your heart to God. Just cry, God, search me and know me. Help me, Lord, to be vulnerable and to help me to, to, help me to have authentic, healthy relationships. And, and, and if you don't know Christ, if you're here visiting or if you're not, but you really don't know that relationship with Christ, if you really don't know what it means to know his love and his goodness and his life-changing grace in your life, then there's those of us here this, this morning who be happy to talk to you afterwards, to pray with you afterwards. Come and, come and talk to us. Don't go out of the door still wondering and still thinking about uh, maybe what if. Don't be like my brother and leave it till two days before you die to actually say, Jesus, help me. Because he now has no life to live with God except in eternity. But here on earth, we can make a difference. Shall we stand and I'm going to pray and then we're going to sing. Heavenly Father, I just thank you for your word. Your word is living and active. Your word is sharper than any two-edged sword. Your word, Lord, can divide between joint and marrow. Your word can get into the very deepest needs of our heart and our life. God, you're able to speak to us at our deepest point of need. You're able to know us through and through. You made us, Lord. We are fearfully and wonderfully made. And God, I pray as we sing this song and go out from this place that God will open up our hearts more to you. Lord, for a revelation of who you are, your love and your grace and your goodness and your mercy. Lord, we want to be more like you. We want to be the people that you've called us to be. We want to role model what it is to really love each other in a healthy relationship because of what you have done in our hearts and lives. Lord, we just bless you. We continue to worship you today in Jesus' name.